distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Eric. I live in southwestern Florida. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all of our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we don't. I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. Well, I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also mention what hardware we are using and might comment on how we think the hardware may affect the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 42, recorded on the 25th of April, 2023. For this episode, I will be reviewing Elementary OS 7, Dale has Zinc 2204.2, and Eric will review Fedora 37. We have a new team member, Eric Adams. Say hello, Eric, and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Eric Adams. I am a long-term Linux server and desktop user. I have a roughly 20-year history in IT and have worked on everything from voice systems, servers, uh, desktops, help desk, software development, <laughs> project management, you name it. I've done a lot of it and have been able to use Linux and open source software for at least some of that and have been very fortunate to be a part of the community and have met some fantastic people including my co-hosts, who I've listened to for quite a long time. And when they mentioned that there was an opening, I reached out and said that I was interested in joining. And we're glad to have you. You mentioned a YouTube channel? I did, yes. I have been making content for a number of years now. I have a YouTube uh, channel that is Eric Adams. Just, just my name. Everything's my name. My social media, my YouTube channel, no, nothing fancy, just me doing what I do. And uh, I cover just tips and tricks, things that I've come along, f figured out along the way uh, that I had searched for and couldn't find a good answer for. And so I thought, hey, that's an opportunity to help someone else out. Thanks, Eric. Let's move on to monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. I've had lots of fun with hardware lately. I got a keyboard cleaning brush and restored my fellow's microban keyboard. I have found my M700 Tiny i3 machine used for my TV streaming, had a loose connection on the display port, and I ordered a new i5 M700 Tiny as a temporary fix. I was going to send the old machine to Joe, but I found out that it really wasn't the interior connection, it was the adapter. And so while I had another adapter, I still got myself a new machine, and, uh... It looks like I will be moving that machine, the, the i3 machine, onto Dale in the near future. When it comes to soldering, neither my eyesight nor my hands are up to that, so I just send things to Joe to fix. I got a new EBXYA sound card last month. It had a short in it, 
The support was not very professional, but they did replace the box, and I'm using a new one now. There's a minor short in the headphone jack, but nothing important. Anything exciting going on with you, Dale? I observed my 49th birthday while I was home. That meant I needed to renew the registration on my car and the added bonus of renewing my commercial driver's license. At least my license is good for another four years. Though I found out Ohio will do two-year registrations and eight-year licenses now. I didn't do anything for my birthday as I had an unpleasant sinus infection later in that week. I slept and napped on the couch, which has a reclining feature. It was easier to breathe not laying down. In between my napping, I attended the Linux Saloon YouTube stream on Saturday evening. Since I was feeling a little better, I participated in their Archcraft distro exploitation. It was a nice minimalist Arch-based distro. I may consider doing a review for distro hoppers. After much consideration, I decided not to stay on Solus Budgie. I'm currently considering Debian or Void, as it fits more into what I want to do with my desktop. And I'm actually in the process of installing Void now. So that was my decision. Mainly DKMS support and ZFS file system. I still have one desktop running Solus Plasma, which actually I updated today and it updated flawlessly after not being updated for almost four months. I also decided to give Openbox Window Manager another try. It has been close to 20 years since I used it for a long period of time. I was using Blackbox occasionally back then, and Openbox was a fork of it. Eventually, it was rewritten and shares no code with Blackbox anymore. I did a git clone of PyCom's next branch from the YSHUI, however you want to pronounce that, like YSHUI, GitHub repository, and I have a link for it. It appears to be the most popular common fork of Compton from what I've heard. They are compositors for Xorg and responsible for transparency and shadows, among other visual effects in window managers. I compiled PyCom to make sure I had the most recent, even though it was in the Debian repository. I also compiled a GUI utility to edit the configuration file for PyCom. Unfortunately, I didn't like how it was removing the formatting that I created in the uh, document to make it more legible using the uh, Joe text editor. It's my favorite editor. So I stopped using it. I learned the settings for PyCom from a YouTube video. It was great help. It was by Eric Murphy titled, How to Use and Configure PyCom. My next task was to find a panel replacement for Tint2, T-I-N-T-2, which is a common panel that is used in OpenBox. It is a nice panel, but I wanted something more configurable. Polybar was suggested to me by Telegram user Penguin Revolution. He also shared his configuration file with me, which was appreciated. I found a great YouTube video walking through its configuration of it. It blew my mind the amount of configuration. Linux cast, how to install, customize Polybar. The link will be in the show notes. Other than finding fonts, the only item left will be an app launcher, which will be probably Rofi. I've thought of using a dock, but I'm not sure I will need it. And one thing I forgot to mention when I wrote the show notes, I was doing the testing on my Dell Inspiron 13, which I used Debian before I made my decision to use uh, Void on my desktop. 
I thought I would put the 64 gigabytes of DDR4 memory I was gifted in my main desktop instead of the 16 gigabytes it already had. That led to a deep rabbit hole in XMP profiles. This was due to the fact that my desktop started kernel panicking and consistently crashing applications. From what I have found, these sticks don't like running at 3600 MHz and are stable at 2666 MHz. I read that they should work at 3200 MHz, but requires many rounds of testing, different voltages, and other overclocking settings. They aren't specifically mentioned in the memory compatibility list, though the 32 gig kit with the same memory model is listed. It has the exact same specs as the 64 gigabyte kit. I decided to keep them at 2666 MHz, and so far the kernel panics and application crashes have gone away. And I can confirm that I was able to install and configure Void on the same computer, so I'm thinking that's what the uh, issue was. The remainder of my free time was spent on the couch watching TV, conversing on various messaging platforms, and going through many tissue boxes. Links to the GitHub repo and the YouTube videos will be in the show notes. Eric, anything you would like to tell us about? I had a very interesting realization this month. I had forgotten how to distro hop. And you may think, well, how can you do that? But believe it or not, it's actually a skill to be able to juggle partitions and bootloaders and all of the things that are fraught with peril if you do them <laughs> incorrectly. And that's what I did. I ended up trying to figure out which distros I wanted to use uh, to, for testing and thought, okay, well, I will go ahead and install them. And I ended up making a mistake and completely destroying my partition table <laughs> and needing to sort of start from scratch. Fortunately, I did have a backup of everything, so I didn't lose any data. I uh, lost a little pride, but, you know, that's okay. And now I feel confident that moving forward, I can keep up with Moss and Dale. A tip. What's that? <laughs> well, I, I got a tip for you. Uh -oh. It's called RescueZilla. Okay. okay. I will keep that in mind. It will uh, make an ISO out of whatever you currently have on your partition. Oh. And so you don't have to boot from, you know, just having installed it and have to go look for your programs because they're all there. Excellent. DistroZilla. I will check that out. RescueZilla. Oh, sorry. RescueZilla. RescueZilla. Fantastic. Thanks for the tip. Okay. So let's move on to updates. Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. I installed Big Linux on my desktop machine. I learned that the biggest thing which made Big stand out, the Big Store, has been removed from the product and can't get anyone to tell me why in English. Uh, their main language is Portuguese, as in Brazilian. I also discovered that since Big uses ButterFS by default, its bootloader will allow for other distros to be shown, but will not allow it to be shown by other distros should they control Grub. Because of these things, I am removing Big from my system in hope for improvement. OpenMentriva Rome has been upgraded to where all new packages intended for OM5 will roll into it even prior to the release of OM5. That sounds exciting. What about you, Dale? It has been over a year since Slackhole had an update to the OpenBox Edition, version 7.6. Includes Linux kernel 6.1.20 and the latest updates from the Slackware current tree. It is available in 32-bit and 64-bit. 
Some of the applications are Firefox version 111.0, LibreOffice 7.5.1.2, and GIMP 2.10.34. A link for more details will be in the show notes. There is big news from the Solus Project. Ike Doherty, original founder and former lead dev along with Joshua Schroble, former lead dev and lead dev of the Budgie desktop, Buddies of Budgie project, have returned to write the ship. There is too much to mention, so I will just touch on the highlights. There is a new team that includes Ike Doherty, Joshua Strobel, Joey Richies, Riley Brogan, Aljit Alberhemi, Thomas Stordinger, nicknamed Stody, and Zach Bacon. They have created multiple groups to oversee the operation of the project. Their goal is to eliminate the bus factor which previously happened. They also have people to share the lead dev role to further eliminate this bus factor. Just in case the phrase is not known, the bus factor means a sole person running the project doesn't get hit by a bus, thus ending the project. They are cloud hosting the server infrastructure so it can be remotely managed by any member of the dev team. As far as Solus is concerned, it will have an updated ISO with a new LTS kernel and a new desktop environment with many other updates. The future of Solus will include it merging with Serpent OS, a project that Ike and Josh have been developing since leaving the Solus project in 2018 and 2022, respectively. Serpent OS, like Solus, was built from scratch independent of any other distro. The current Serpent OS infrastructure will replace the one used to develop Solus, which has some similarities. A link to more details will be in the show notes. Void Linux has a new utility that will help update and select mirrors using their new Fastly CDN, which is a content delivery network. The app is called XMirror, and I actually tried it today. It's a nice uh, NCURSES developed application to uh, select the mirrors. Worked really well. The Debian installer team has released Release Candidate 1, a.k.a. RC1. This is leading up to the inclusion of the new non-free-firmware repository, among other changes required to have non-free firmware included in the official installation ISO. A link to the blog post, which includes a link to download the uh, Debian Bookworm RC1 ISOs, will be in the show notes, and they do have a full ISO and the uh, net ISO if you prefer. FreeBSD has released 13.2-release, in all capitals, the third release of the Stable 13 branch. A few of the updates are OpenSSH has been updated to 9.2p1. OpenSSL has been updated to version 1.1.1. And the Beehive hypervisor now supports more than 16 virtual CPUs in a guest. A link to more information is in the show notes. Zero Linux updated the kernel 6.2.11 and the NVIDIA 530 driver. He decided that Plasma will be the default and the main focus of Zero Linux. The previous additions will remain as community ISOs. 
He has created a GNOME ISO for his supporters since there was a lot of interest in the GNOME-based Zero Linux. If you are not able to support him, he understands the state of the world economy. He is providing the ability to create the ISO on your own. The details will be in the download link from his website, and the link will be in the show notes. And as a side note, if you want to hear more from him, he joins Matt in the uh, YouTube channel that I previously mentioned. The Linux Cast, I believe is what it's called. Voyager Linux released a new GNOME ISO based on Ubuntu 2304 Lunar Lobster. It features kernel 6.2 and GNOME 44. A link will be in the show notes. Ubuntu Budgie released version 2304. It includes kernel 6.2, GNOME 44, and Mutter 12, Budgie 10.7.1. Enhance the hot corners capabilities with edge support and superb and intuitive tiling support using either both mouse and keyboard. A link to the release notes is in the show notes. Zubuntu also released uh, their 2304 with kernel 6.2 and XFCE 4.18. Zubuntu Minimal is included as an officially supported subproject. Pipewire and Wireplumber are now included in Zubuntu. PC Linux OS has updated its kernel to versions 6.2.9. 6.1.22 LTS and 5.15.105 LTS. So you've got options. So let's move on to Eric. I had one that I wanted to highlight. Chaos recently celebrated 10 years as a distro by releasing Chaos 2023.04. And to look back, there's an option added to play music during the installation phase. This was a common feature some 10 to 15 years ago, but has never been available in Chaos thus available this one time, 10 years later. In addition to updating their regular install media, they have also provided a development snapshot which includes a preview of KDE Plasma 6. Quoting, not only is there a new stable ISO release, but to look forward to the next 10 years, there is also a Plasma 6 preview ISO available. Moss, what did you find? And Blend OS has a new version too, but a bug has been found. 2.1 will be out shortly. I am still in regular contact with Rudra Sarasvat, and he's really committed to making this immutable distro based on Arch, but allowing the use of Ubuntu Fedora or whatever you like using a reality. Okay, on to beautiful failures. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month I guess I could have put my big Linux issues here, but it's too late for that. Also, my hardware failures, also too late. So I'm good for now. Dale? That pretty much sums it up for me. I thought I had a failure to report, but as I previously mentioned, it was due to the XMP profile that was enabled on my computer. So, Eric, tell us what you uh, failed on this, uh, this month. Well, I'm going to say it's a failure, but only because I didn't stick with it. And that would be Vanilla OS. I've heard so much about immutable distros and atomic distros and uh, the promise that they hold for the future of Linux on the desktop. And so I really felt like I needed to spend a little time with it. So I spent several days 
trying to get vanilla OS to suit my everyday needs and found that it was more challenging and time consuming than I was willing to take on. I've been busier than usual with paid work and don't have unlimited time to devote to learning something new. I have an interest in immutable and atomic distributions because I see a lot of others proclaiming them to be the future of Linux and I do want to understand if that's true, especially for someone like me and how I use a computer. There were some challenges with dual booting and a few other lesser things, but it was mainly due to the way that immutable distros handle native packages. Basically, that <laughs> they're particularly difficult to install on purpose. And uh, I found that there were a lot of native packages that were needed for some of the development work I was doing, and it just made it particularly challenging. There are ways around it that didn't suit my needs. So for right now, I'm considering this a failure. But it's definitely something I want to come back to and see. This is early days for all of these uh, immutable distros. And, uh, and I really think that within a year or two, there'll probably be something uh, that might work for me. So for now, I'm going to put this on the back burner and uh, take a look again some other day. Let's move on to the reviews. Okay, this month I'm reviewing Elementary OS 7. Intro Elementary OS has been compared to Mac OS on a number of forums, but they have taken steps to distance themselves from this perception. Even so, the developers, led by Danielle Foray, have made solid efforts to make everything look like a single distro, not just adding in variously themed applications. This gives it a little bit of a walled garden feel. We've been avoiding this distro for quite a while for exactly this reason, and since they have a brand new version out, I would like to begin by stating that this distro is beautiful and easy to use, has beautiful and consistent theming more so than any other distro. I wanted to make a review of just that, but sadly I had other issues. Nothing I say here should be taken as a slam of elementary OS. My hardware for this review, I used my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P. This computer has a fourth generation Intel Core i7-4710MQ, 16GB of RAM, and a 512GB silicon power SSD, with both Intel HD Graphics 4600 and NVIDIA GeForce GT730M graphics. I installed it using the entire disk, used it for a couple weeks, and then I installed it again. Installation ease and issues. The first time I installed this toward the end of March, it went smoothly and I didn't have any issues. However, I did not write my process down and had to go back and reinstall. This has been a minor nightmare. Apparently, the distro has protections to keep it from being overwritten. So here are the steps I took to install it the second time. I've got it all in the show notes, bulleted nicely and everything. The live disk took a while to load, select language, keyboard layout. Try or install. Do you want to try it or go ahead and install it? Select a drive. Enable drive encryption. I selected no. Partitioning the drive. And then I got a could not install error. Partitioning error. I literally could not continue. So I rebooted. I selected this time custom install. Use gparted to delete partitions. I hit the back button. And then erase disk and install. Select a drive. Don't encrypt. Partition the drive extracting files, etc., restart the device, remove the disk, and press enter. So, post-installation hardware and facts. I'm going to start with my second install as there were more issues. I rebooted back to language selection, name, username, password, confirm password, check device name, and then finish setup. Log in. 
I got a nice mountainy background on the desktop with a Welcome to Elementary OS app showing up. I click Next. I said, choose your look. I click Next. Don't remember if I picked dark or light or there's a hybrid. Uh, Nightlight, I click Next. I don't like Nightlight feature. Uh, Housekeeping asks me to automatically delete downloaded files, old temporary files, or trashed files. The latter two were already checked, and I left them that way. Click Next. Connect online accounts. I skipped that. Uh, get some apps. Browse the App Center. Did not have anything in the App Center I wanted, so I clicked Next. Automated updates. I skipped that and clicked Next. Ready to go. Get started. The welcome box clears, and that's all you get. On my first install, after installing, I ran updates. I found that they were using GNOME Web for the default browser and did not have Firefox in the repo. The website states that they allow for flat packs to be installed, but I did not see an easy way built in to do that. I went to FlatHub in the browser and downloaded the installation file. In Mint, what I do next is open a terminal and go to the downloads directory, then type flatpak install and the installation file name. I tried that and nothing happened. I discussed this with Dale and he suggested I double click on the installation file in the fa file manager, which in Mint would only get a display of the text of the file but in elementary, it did indeed install the program. I used this for a couple of other programs, Telegram and Discord. I attempted to install my Office package, not being a fan of LibreOffice, and found I could not. Not only is GW not installed and will not install, but there were other errors in installing the file using available tools. I posted those errors to one of our online groups, but can't seem to find them to post here. So yes, this is a walled garden with some gaps in the wall if you have the correct format of file. No, there is no flat pack for SoftMaker Office or SoftMaker Free Office. On my second install, I went directly to FlatHub for Firefox, Telegram, and Discord flat packs. I attempted to run updates before installing the flat packs, including adding the NVIDIA 470 driver. The updates included a large lump called Operating System Updates with 255 components, no indication of what they are, just a very slow moving bar graph telling you they were installing. It was way too slow took a long, 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 long time. This machine has a fifth generation i7 and is Ethernet connected. After waiting 75 minutes with the status bar stuck at about halfway, I hit cancel and it immediately asked me to reboot. It then started a new status bar during boot up, but it moved at a reasonable speed. Then it automatically rebooted again. I went back to the update manager and was told I had to repair some damage. The repair did not take long, but there were still a few updates to do. After well over an hour and a half, it was finally done. I installed the flat packs I had downloaded, was informed of four more updates, performed those with a few long waits, and rebooted. I had more updates to do, and this time they went smoothly. I had, for the third time, a recommendation to install the NVIDIA 470 driver, which I thought was already installed. I installed it, rebooted, and I think it's there. I wonder why I even do this, as not being a gamer, I will probably never leave the Intel side. The desktop is Pantheon, developed by the elementary team. It's clear and easy to use. The default browser is GNOME Web. If you don't like LibreOffice or WPS Office, tough. If you're used to most Linux desktops, you may be bothered by the fact that the X to close a program or window is on the top left, just like Mac OS and Unity. I am assured by DT that it really is the best place for it, but it's not what I'm used to. As stated, the default browser is Web, formerly known as Epiphany, and still called that in some libraries. It is really not ready for prime time, regardless of how long GNOME has been working on it. I installed Firefox from FlatHub, 
It was easy to remove Web's icon from the taskbar and install Firefox's, although I could not move the icon to the same location on the taskbar as Web's icon had occupied. In a lot of ways, the updating process is reminiscent of Big Linux's, where you go to the Update Manager, download the updates, manually tell the computer to reboot, it installs the downloaded files at reboot, and then does another automatic reboot, and then has everything working when the desktop comes back online. I find this process drawn out and confusing, as most distros manage to update programs without even one reboot, or rarely just a logout and back in. I know I installed Discord, but could not find it on the menus. I tried installing it again and was told it was already there. My bad, I'm used to menus being arranged by type of program or by last app installed, but Elementor uses alphabetical order. I just wasn't looking for it in the Ds I was looking around Telegram and Firefox. Ease of use. If you can install it or it is already installed, you can use it. The theming is consistent and beautiful and everything runs smoothly. At the end of the day, however, it feels like a beginner's distro with everything planned out and chosen for you. I suppose that's the principle of elementary, to be as consistent in appearance and function as Windows is thought to be. Memory and disk use. I was using 12 gigabytes of space on the SSD as reported by DF-H. I was using 653 megabytes of memory reported by Free-HM. Ease of finding help. There is a large and friendly community. I did not approach them. This is getting to sound consistent for me. Plays nice with others. After my experience with installing it over itself and seeing how it uses the drive differently from other distros I'm familiar with, I didn't even try to install something else. I know it can be run as a dual boot with Windows and wonder how easy it is to get that working. But I did not find out because I don't use Windows. Stability. This distro is every bit as stable as the Ubuntu 22.04 base it's based on. Similar distros to check out, I would suggest Pop! OS and Zorin OS. Ratings. Ease of installation. New user 5 out of 10. Experienced user 7 out of 10. Hardware issues 7 out of 10. Ease of finding help. Community and web, 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others, well, I didn't, so I'll leave that an X. Stability, 10 out of 10, so my overall rating is 8 out of 10. My final comments, this distro looks great and is easy to use if you like their software selections or can find flat pack packages for what you want. If you want something else, you'd better be a more skilled Linux user than I am. What they do right, they do better than any other distro. Try it. You may like it. Let's move on to Eric's review. I decided to take a look at Fedora 37's KDE Plasma Spin. Intro. This is a two-faceted hop for me, being a dedicated GNOME user and never having much luck with Fedora. Several years ago, I found GNOME to be confusing and incomplete while KDE's Plasma was the pinnacle of desktops everywhere. That got flipped around when I got this Dell laptop. There was something awful about how Plasma rendered fonts that made them very difficult to read. That sounds simple enough to correct, but I spent an unbelievable amount of time trying to figure it out and eventually gave up trying once I tried GNOME and didn't have that problem. The text was very clear and clean, and GTK in general was just better. I was able to overcome all the issues I had with GNOME through hidden configs and extensions, both of which added back functionality that I feel is missing from GNOME. Things like a system tray, window controls, app menu, and a dock. 
are essentially the things that Ubuntu adds back as well. A large percentage of the software I was using was GTK, and at the time, GTK apps looked pretty terrible in Plasma. They look perfectly fine now, so congrats to the KDE team for making that happen. But I digress. This all led me to switch to and stick with GNOME until now. I've tried Fedora several times over the years, but could never quite get it working the way I wanted, even with a lot of effort. I'm a pragmatic user of technology, using free and open source whenever possible, and other types when necessary. Fedora's policy of exclusively providing free and open software made it feel like half of a desktop to me, one that I ended up having to finish myself. I tend to prefer distros that provide a finished package, so to speak. Ones that make it easy to obtain and install drivers and take the time to tweak a desktop environment. This all lets me hit the ground running. I appreciate that the devs put that kind of care and attention into what they produce, like it's their ideal way of operating a computer. Another reason I wanted to try Fedora's KDE Plasma Spin is that Fedora's main release, Fedora Workstation, includes the GNOME desktop. This leads most to characterize Fedora as being a GNOME-centric distribution, perhaps even GNOME only. This does a disservice to the people who develop the spins, which are a collection of ISOs providing a number of alternative desktops for any given release of Fedora. As of right now, the list includes 10 alternatives, KDE Plasma, XFCE, LXQT, Mate Compiz, Cinnamon, LXDE, SOAS, i3, Budgie, and Sway. The last two were just added as part of Fedora 38, which incidentally was released just before taping this episode on April 18th. The release was April 18th, not the recording of the episode, by the way. My hardware. I'm using my main computer, which is a Dell XPS 15 9570 laptop, which has an 8th generation Coffee Lake Intel i7-8750H, which has 6 cores and 12 threads at 4.1 GHz, 16 GB of DDR4-2666 RAM, Toshiba 256GB NVMe, and crucial 1TB SSD drives and hybrid NVIDIA graphics with an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1050 Ti Mobile and Intel Coffee Lake H GT2 UHD Graphics 630. I have a number of partitions on the NVMe drive, including an EFI, swap, and two root partitions supporting the dual boot setup. The SSD is a data drive housing my files, which is shared between the two distros. Installation ease and issues. Anaconda isn't my favorite installer. I take exception to the unusual find the button approach that they employ, but I've gotten used to it, which is why I guess it's still the way it is. I'm using a dual boot setup, which has sometimes been a problem with some distros that expect to be the only one installed. Fortunately, I didn't have any trouble in this case. There is an option to have the installer automatically partition the free space on the disk, which I chose to do. It created the partitions it needed and left the things alone that it didn't need to touch, even being smart enough to reuse the existing EFI partition. I chose to accept the default option of disabling the root account. I created my user, and then the installer did its thing in around 10 minutes. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Upon rebooting, I was shown a grub menu that listed the Fedora entry, but also the Endeavor OS entry, which is the other distro that's installed. That means that the OS Prober and Grub were able to detect and add the proper boot options. This doesn't always work that way, the way I hope it will, but it did in this case. After booting Fedora, I logged in and was presented with a pretty stock Plasma desktop. 
There is no welcome screen or any other getting started process, just the desktop ready to go. I had just under a 1,000 packages to update, around 1.6 gigabytes in total to download. I tried to use Discover to do so, but it had other plans. <laughs> I'm aware that a good deal of work has gone into improving Discover experience, but I continue to have some of the same long-standing issues, mainly performance, but also the unusual user interface. There's also a perplexing lack of settings available, which is peculiar for a KDE application. I believe they will continue to work on it and it will continue to improve over time, but for now, Discover is a very difficult application for me to use. So I just use DNF up in the terminal and DNF on the uh, command line is a perfectly wonderful package manager that uh, does the job just fine. <laughs> After rebooting, I was presented with a welcome screen for KDE Plasma, which was a slideshow type introduction to Plasma. It provided an introduction to features such as system settings, vaults, activities, KDE Connect, and KRunner. Some of these are standout differentiating features of the Plasma desktop, many of which are largely ignored, like activities, for example. Some have claimed a lack of calling attention to these features is to blame, so it's nice to see KDE providing this welcome screen as a way to address that concern and introduce these features. Another interesting feature of the welcome tool is the ability to enable varying levels of telemetry data to be sent back to KDE, including disabled by default, basic system data, basic system data and usage statistics, detailed system information and basic usage statistics, and finally detailed system information and usage statistics. Many open source projects have called attention to the fact that they have very little statistical data to draw from when deciding which features to focus on, for example. There have been several notable instances of projects deciding to use an opt-out approach, which many users dislike. KDE has taken the opt-in approach, which I hope will garner enough goodwill that people will consider allowing them to have their data. Ease of use. Fedora continues to ship without patent-encumbered software, which makes for a less-than-ideal desktop OS experience. Most users, myself included, expect to have access to closed-source drivers, codecs, and closed-source software if needed. I don't disagree with their stance on this principle, but it has made using Fedora as my main desktop system more difficult than most other distros. It has gotten easier, especially on the main workstation edition, which now includes enabling third-party repositories as part of the first boot process. I still had to configure RPM Fusion myself in the KDE spin. It's not particularly difficult, but still requires an extra step. I found that I often had to install software from outside of the Fedora repositories in order to accomplish some tasks. This could be a challenge for a newer, less experienced user and a bit of a hassle for everyone else. But, and this is the important part, a good number of distros cater to the less experienced user, while Fedora expects a certain level of proficiency, and I'm okay with that. Memory and disk use. The installation used 4.5 gigabytes of space on the SSD, and 750 megabytes of memory was used as reported by Free-HM. That's an awful small installation. I double-checked it, and honestly, <laughs> they just don't include very much software. Ah. It's just the KDE base. So then when you add in the stuff that you're used to, then it gets bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a bit bigger. But it is nice for them to just include the bare minimum, yeah. Okay. Ease of finding help. I didn't need to take advantage of the many ways that Fedora provides help, but there is an impressive array nonetheless. 
The KDE Plasma Spin page lists several resources specific to the spin itself, including chat and email. They also link to KDE's documentation website and Fedora's main Get Help page. There's also start.fedoraproject.org, which provides links to news, downloads, and help. Plays nice with others. The installer did a great job of using the empty space and reusing the correct EFI and swap partitions. The proper grub entries were created and dual booting worked as expected. Full marks in this category. Stability. I did experience several lockups that required me to perform a hard reboot by holding down the power button. I wasn't able to really track down the cause and it wasn't ever consistent. It happened with VirtualBox once, another time with remote desktop software, and once for seemingly no reason. This isn't unprecedented behavior, but it isn't common. Let's say that it was conspicuous compared to most other distros. Other than those incidents, I didn't have any stability issues per se. I did find that it felt a tad slow overall when compared to something like Arch, but on par with something like Ubuntu. Similar distros to check out. For the KDE Plasma-centric distros, I think Ubuntu is still kind of hard to beat, unless you just don't like Ubuntu. But in terms of a solid, well-developed KDE experience, I think Ubuntu does very well. And if you like RPM packages, or if that's the base that you run off of, then OpenSUSE is a good option for that. Terms of ratings, ease of installation for a new user, I would say 8 out of 10 simply because Anaconda is slightly confusing. And if they were trying to do anything more complicated than just accepting the defaults, it can be a little tricky. An experienced user, I'll say 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community, and web is 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 7 out of 10, simply because of needing to do the extra configuration to make it what I would consider a modern desktop. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10, 7 out of 10, due to the aforementioned issues with lockups. And the overall rating, 8 out of 10. My final comments are that I enjoyed my time with Fedora's KDE Plasma Spin and continue to use it till today, actually. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote what I'm reading on, on that distro. I enjoyed rediscovering why I enjoyed Plasma years ago and may have talked myself back into using it full time. Some things are such an improvement over GNOME, at least as it pertains to how I use my computer. All of the things that I feel are missing from GNOME are in Plasma by default without the need to install extensions. And while KDE can sometimes overdo it with the seemingly endless number of configuration options available, it is nice to be able to have them available when you need them. Come to think of it, isn't that their tagline? Simple by default, powerful when needed. I suppose I agree with that. In terms of Fedora, I had been using Workstation prior to this, and therefore GNOME. While the desktop environment was different in this case, the underlying system, as you'd expect, felt exactly the same. GNOME did make it a bit easier to get things set up by providing a means of enabling third-party repositories, but this wasn't such an imposition on KDE. The main extra time to manually configure things isn't a huge factor. I don't dislike the time I've spent using Fedora, but I'm not convinced that I've seen enough benefit to make me want to keep using it instead of something like Endeavor OS or even an Ubuntu derivative. If I don't stay with it, I'll at least keep an eye on it. There have been huge improvements in the past five years or so, and Fedora also tends to adopt newer technologies before others do, such as Pipewire. Okay, let's move on to Dale's distro.
I have been reviewing Zinc 22.04.2. Zinc is a distro from India. The developer is Tony George. You might have heard of him, maybe not. He has been developing software for Linux and Windows since 2012. Tony is known best for creating Aptic, Timeshift, Ubuntu Kernel Update Utility, and Conkey Manager. A link to his website will be in the show notes. On the 27th of May 2022, he created Zinc, and the spelling for this is Z-I-N-C. It is a distro based on Zubuntu 22.04. Here is a quote from his blog post announcing the release of Zinc. And I quote, This distribution is for people who prefer traditional desktops. Snap and Flatpak packages are not included by default. They can be installed if needed. Deb version of Firefox is installed from Mozilla's repositories. End quote. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit of the... Uh, Initial release and then the uh, version that I'm that I am reviewing. So the initial release was Zinc 22.04, and it features based on Ubuntu LTS, stable base for five years of security updates, XFCE desktop top panel and dock on the left side, dark themed to reduce eye strain, latest hardware enablement edge kernel from Ubuntu. Currently at 5.15 for 2204, newer mainline kernels are not used to avoid compatibility issues with NVIDIA, VirtualBox, and wireless drivers, which I commend them for that because they're dependent on kernel version numbers. No snaps or flat packs can be installed if needed. Latest dev version of Firefox from Mozilla's official repositories. Calamaris installer instead of Ubiquity, drop-down terminal for running commands in the background, map to F1 key, better virtual box support, auto-resize display to match the host resolution and access shared folders from live system sessions, live session option to load to RAM, you can write the ISO to a USB stick, boot it from using the load to RAM option, and install the OS on the same USB drive, which I think is kind of a neat feature. I will review 22.04.2, released on the 26th of February, 2023. The updates include kernel 5.19, XFC, 4.18, which is the current release of XFCE. Nemo 5.6.3 from Linux Mint 21.1. LibreOffice 7.3.7.2. In kernel NTFS 3 driver will be used by default for mounting NTFS drives instead of the Fuse based NTFS 3G driver. Uses CloudFares. DNS server for DNS resolution. On to my hardware. It's the uh, same laptop that I've been using. It's my uh, Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has a dual-core i5-6200U 2.8 GHz CPU, a 14-inch display using HD graphics 520, 
16 gigabytes of DDR3 memory, and a 500 gigabyte Samsung 860 EVO SSD. Installation ease and issues. It booted to a simple grub menu that Ubuntu uses, which includes boot live system, safe mode, load to RAM, and check live CD, DVD, USB for defects, which I think is a nice feature that they put in there because it kind of eliminates some uh, issues. Once in the live session, I clicked on the installation icon from the desktop. Zinc uses the Calamaris installer and requires the laptop to be connected to the AC adapter and the internet. It asks the same questions as other distros with the exception of using the user password for administrative functions via sudo. There was no mention of it during the installation questions. And I even went through it again just to make sure I didn't miss it. But I guess they just assume everybody wants to use sudo. <laughs> I opted to use the replace a partition option during the partitioning. I overwrote the Partis partition, so I'm dual booting Zinc with PC Linux OS. Upon completion of installation, a question of rebooting now was posed. I clicked the checkbox to reboot and clicked finish. I always wondered why there's so many checkboxes and things just to reboot. It's like, yes, I already did this. But that's what you get when you're trying distros every month <laughs> or every week. <laughs> a black screen asked me to remove the USB stick and press enter. It was a simple, quick installation. Didn't time it, but yeah, it was five, eight minutes. Very quick. Post-installation hardware facts and any issues. Zinc is using the LightDM login manager. And upon logging in, I was presented with a wallpaper image similar to our moon set to a red U. The other option is a blue-green background similar to the folds of a paper fan with evergreen trees in the foreground. There is an XFCE panel at the top and a DocX dock from DockBar X on the left side. They run the entire length of the height and width of the screen. The top panel includes, from left to right, the Whisker menu, configured to display a list of applications similar to Windows 10. A CPU graph widget, a mouse over, shows CPU usage in percentage while clicking opens HTOP, which is a terminal-based system monitor. Date and time, using the European format and month while clicking shows the calendar. And you'll notice other hints of European spellings like color and etc. throughout the distro. Wired Ethernet status widget, system tray icons, caffeine, used to temporarily disable sleep on the computers. Indicator widget, turns off display, kill hung applications, restart application, update system with app, update system with Nala, a front end for app showing better formatting and color. It is pretty nice. I wish uh, app looked like that. System monitor widget, Wi-Fi status configuration, variety, a automatic wallpaper changer, notifications, battery status, sound control preferences, and lastly, action button widget. And that performs the lock screen, logout, switch user, suspend, shutdown, and restart. In the DocX dock, there is Firefox 112, Thunar File Manager 4.18, Nemo 5.6.3, Terminator 2.1.1, a terminal client, 
and gedit 41.0 GUI text editor from the GNOME desktop. Here are a few applications available in Zinc. And accessories are Mate Calculator 1.26.0, Bulky 2.7, a file naming application, and Shutter.99.2, a screenshot tool. In development is Gary 1.38, an IDE using GTK+. For graphics, there is GIMP 2.10, Inkscape 1.1, drawing slash design work, and Shotwell. .30.14-C-E-L-L-E. It's a photo manager. In internet, Remina 1.4.25, remote access and screen sharing utility. Transmission 3.0, BitTorrent client. And you get 2.2.3, download manager. You don't see those very much anymore, those uh, download managers. For multimedia, there is VLC 3.0.16. And for Office, there is LibreOffice 7.3.7.2, which includes Writer, Calc, Spreadsheet, Impress, Presentation, and Draw the Drawing app, which is almost the full suite. In the system, there is the Fish Shell, which is really hard to say. <laughs> 3.3.1, and I don't know how you'd pronounce this. I guess gig Gigolo? G-I-G. Gigolo. Gigolo? Okay. Gigolo. 5.2, thank you, Moss. Front end to connect to local and remote file systems. And you got Gparted 1.3.1, Nope Disk uh, 42, and Synaptic 90.2. It's the GUI package manager for apt. There were also the normal XFC applications that are installed. There was one odd issue with the whisker menu. When I would press the super key, aka the Windows logo key, the menu would open and immediately close. It happens so fast, it makes the screen flash. I found out that I needed to hold the key down for one second and it would stay open. Oddly, it would need to press the uh, key another second to close it. I've never seen this behavior before with the whisker menu. It was quite odd. Pressing the escape key would also close the menu. Once opened, it functioned as it should, but I've never in all my years of XFC have seen that. So I don't know if that was something in the 4.18 uh, version or what the issue is. Ease of use. I got along pretty well with Zinc considering XFCE is one of my favorite desktop environments. I like the addition of the DocX dock. I've heard of it, but I never had a chance to see it. It has many settings, which makes it a good fit for the configurable nature of XFCE. A very good percentage of the features are not being used. There is a big potential for customization, if you're so inclined. A terminal using Terminator was a good experience. Tony opted to not open DLFetch or any other statistics setting app when the terminal is opened. I actually like the configuration of the terminal so much that I may use it on other systems. It has the clock followed by my username at hostname, followed by the current folder. Then below that is a greater than sign and a bracket. The open end is pointing to the left. I don't need the clock, but the other configurations I like. I found it didn't get in the way of my activities in the terminal since I'm always in the terminal doing updates and stuff. 
Unlike fish, I don't like the productive text it uses, though if you're not a fast typer, I can see its appeal. If you are used to using the SU command to do administrative functions, you will need to enter the interactive shell of sudo to do that or add a password to the root user. To use sudo's interactive mode, type sudo space hyphen i, press enter, enter your password, and then you are in a root shell. The best current security practice is to leave the root user disabled for interactive shell login permission. Personally, I think it's a moot point since your user password can perform root administration via sudo. It all boils down to how good your uh, password is in general. The installation of Flatpak was like any other Ubuntu-based distro. The Flatpaks appear in the menu, so editing the menu was not needed. I'm not a fan of Snap, so I didn't try installing it, considering this is based on Ubuntu. I don't see a problem with doing so. There isn't any update notification, so you'll need to check on the updates. Synaptic worked very well, just as apt did. This was the first distro I reviewed that had Nala installed, or Nala, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It has a nice, colorful command output. I really, really liked it. It looked uh, very nice. I posted a screenshot to our Telegram group. It uses some of the same commands that App uses with a few nice additions like list. It lists packages based on package name and history shows your uh, transaction history. It is good for basic updating and package installation. To do more advanced uh, functions, you're still going to need to use apt. Now for the memory and disk use. This is a hefty boy, 12 gigabytes of space used on the SSD. And this was a shocker. 849 megabytes of memory was reported by the free-hm command. That's extremely heavy for XFCE. I mean, that's bordering on GNOME territory. Well, XFCE has been heavier since they did the redesign about a year ago. Yeah, I, that's why I was saying with my thing with the Whisker Mini. I haven't really had that much experience with 4.18, so I'm wondering if there was something, because they did update their GNOME toolkit. It's still behind a lot of the other uh, DEs, but I'm wondering if that's what's creeping up the memory. The ease of finding help. I didn't see any obvious signs of support. There were comments on his blog announcing the uh, release of the distro, though they were all compliments and congratulations. Given the Ubuntu base, any Ubuntu forum should be able to help. So it plays nice with others. I had no issues dual booting with uh, PC Linux OS, as Erica has mentioned. As long as the uh, prober is functioning, and uh, everything, it shouldn't have a problem. Stability. I had no issues. So the similar distros to check out, Zubuntu and MX Linux, mostly for their, their theming um, of the XFCE, and then Zubuntu, if you want your snaps installed by default. But you're not going to have your flat packs. You're going to have to do that on your own, so I guess it's a trade-off. My ratings... Ease of installation, new user, 8 out of 10. Now, I just always take that off just because partitioning is still not real straightforward unless you have nothing on the drive. Experience user, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. 
ease of finding help community and web. I didn't rate it because, well, it's a moot point. Ease of use, 9 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. The overall rating is an 8 out of 10. And my final comments. Overall, I enjoyed using Zinc. Other than the odd whisker menu problem, I had no other issues. I thought having both Thunor and Nemo was, I guess, unnecessary. Some may say bloat. <laughs> I personally don't see the point of it. I noticed that there were other duplications, like the XFC screenshot utility and shutter. Another is the two resource monitors and the XFC panel. There is no surprise why the clean boot memory usage is almost 900 megabytes, which is very heavy for XFCE. The timeout on Grub in the menu at boot time is way too long at 30 seconds. 10 seconds is more than enough time to make a selection. Additionally, once you press the arrow keys, the boot is paused until you make a selection. The only points I took off were, like I said, the new user partitioning. If it's not a wipe and install, it can be confusing, even with Calamaris. The other is the uh, ease of use with the whisker menu problem. If you want to use Ubuntu with a good selection of pre-installed applications, but you don't want Snap installed, then I would look at Zinc. Now let's move on to new releases. New releases this month from March 23rd to April 25th. Proxmox 7.4 VE. Ubuntu 20.04.6 All Flavors. LibreElec 11.0.1. Regatta 23.0.0. Slackle 7.6. Open Mandriva 23.03 Rome, Porteous Kiosk 5.5.0, Proxmox 7.3 Mail Gateway, Phoenix 125, Open Mamba 20230329, Proxmox 2.4 Backup Server, Alpine 3.17.3, Linux FX 11.3.1, PZ 2.3.2, Gnopix 23.4, Zevnet 5.13.2, Midnight BSD 3.0.0, Light 6.4, Maybox 23.03, Archcraft 2023.04.02, Arch Linux 2023.04.01, Perl 13, Live Razo 14.13.04.02, Xtix 23.4, Artix 2023.04.01, Easy OS 5.2.1, Midnight BSD 3.0.1, FreeBSD 13.2, OpenBSD 7.3, 4M Linux 42.0, TrueNAS 22.12.2, TinyCore 14.0, Big Linux 2023-04-11, Deepin 20.9, Archcraft 23.04.17, Tuxedo 2-2023-0417, IP Fire 2.27-Core-174, Fedora 38, Voyager 22.04.2, Tails 5.12, PacOS 2023-04-16, SmartOS 2023-0420, KDE Neon 2023-0420, Ubuntu 23.04, all flavors, cinnamon and edubuntu are now official. KOS 2023.04, 
Voyager 23.04, Zevenet 5.13.3, Manjaro 22.1.0, Fuguita 7.3, Blue Star 6.2.12, BlendOS 2, CasioS 230423. In our feedback, we've got nothing in the email box. We'd still love to hear from you, and you'll know how to contact us at the end of the show. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord group. Dale? I'm Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is dale underscore at pm.me. Dale, you missed your CDL on that. Email is dale underscore CDL at pm.me. Eric? I can be reached on just about every social media and chat platform, and I just use my name. So, Eric Adams, and you will find me on Mastodon, Discord, Telegram, Matrix, Twitter, yada, 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 like 10 more. <laughs> so, just look for my name. How about you, Moss? And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and I'm on Mastodon as at zyvala at hosttux.social. Plus, you can find me, Dale and Dylan, at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those people who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and producing and editing the podcast. Joshua Lowe for our work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, uses our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source and Libre software. We'll be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <laughs>